Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. I've asked Kirstine if she'll share. She didn't know this till five minutes ago. Um, but Kirstine is doing, and I know their small group are doing this, which is 40 Acts of Kindness. Put your hand up if you're in their group. You're all d- trying to do this, aren't you? They're all hiding now and pretending they're not. But Kirstine shared this story with us, and I just thought it's a really encouraging story because we're in the season of Lent, and rather than give something up, this is something to give out and do something to build us up. So Kirstine's got a little story to share. Sure. Morning, everyone. Um, so yes, as, as Kelly um, has just explained, the small group, we decided that we were going to um, sign up for the um, 40 Acts, which is a stewardship initiative. And last year I'd signed up for it, got all these emails, prompts on a daily basis to do different types of things of random acts of kindness, I think it was at the time. Um, this year the theme is generosity. Um, and so we talked about it small group and, and there was a, a degree of, yeah, let's sign up and do it and a degree of accountability. So, um, and that we would share how we were getting on. So uh, Tuesday, lunchtime, I went off to Sainsbury's at lunchtime. I thought I'd make use of my time. And um, there I was going through the checkout, feeling a little bit like I am at the moment. (laughs) As I was being prompted, um, really, to, to actually think about how I would share God's generosity and um, so there was a queue behind me and I was going through the checkout and the, the assistant was very convivial. We were having a little chat, um, bought a couple of comic relief um, scratch cards. I don't know how biblical that is. But anyway, I thought, that was, is, is, this the, is this generosity? And no, no, the, the, the sort of um, feeling in my tummy continued um, to the point that I hung, hung around after I'd paid for the shopping as the next couple were coming through. And I thought, right, OK. And I just felt um, God was saying, you need to pay for their shopping. Looked at the, the shopping. And it, fortunately, it wasn't the entire um, conveyor belt full. But actually, I thought, right, I'm going to do this. So the shopping was coming through. And I was trying to get up beside the lady, pop, tapping her on the shoulder, saying, excuse me, excuse me. And she was completely ignoring me um but I thought right no I've got it I'm, I'm in there now I'm going to do this uh and I said I'd like to pay for your shopping she said I beg your pardon <laughs> I said I'd like to pay for your shopping I said um rather than actually giving up something for Lent um I've signed up to um this initiative where I'm looking sorry I'm looking to do um um acts of generosity and as one of these acts I would like to bless you by buying your shopping today can I do that for you so she was she was oh all right then yes yeah that's fine and the the cashier went I beg your pardon (laughs) I said it's all right I'm going to pay for her shopping and so we had a little bit of an exchange um she and her husband and at at which point she said I wish I'd done the whole shop this week (laughs) um but she was they were fairly taken aback by it um and I I just ended the conversation by by blessing them and saying you know um thank thank you for letting me do that and the shop assist uh, the the cashier looked at me and went so just the one then you're not doing the next one (laughs) I said no no just just the one today just the one today there'll be something more tomorrow um but but this that's what it is today and I have to say for the rest of the group um the small group we've had some lovely stories of um Becky sharing her administrative skills with um with a friend and chocolate bars being given to um attendants that that are washing cars and and such like and it really is um 
just trying to um, share God's generosity. The verse on, on that particular day on Tuesday was freely you've received, freely give. Mm-hmm. And um, there are, as I, I would just encourage you to sign up if you can. It's not too late. There's lots of opportunities to um, be inspired to um, share God's generosity with others. Thank you. Yeah, as Kirsten said, it, it isn't too late. It's 40 Acts and it's stewardship. If you just type that into Google, you can sign up um, and you get daily things. The blog today, which was an encouragement um, from stewardship, was just all about listening to God, acting on it and not questioning. Um, so Kirsten doesn't know why she paid for that person shopping. It was an act of obedience, but she listened to God, she acted on it, and then she just went on away without questioning. And I think that's so important for us to exercise our faith muscles and to just be generous. So I'd encourage you, if you want to do something this uh, period of Lent, have a look at 40 Acts with the stewardship and, or, just, just do little, or just listen to God and be generous um, as you go through your daily life. Anyway, it's 20 past nearly, so I'm going to get Simon up. Yes. You can clap him. Did you all that? That's great. Let's just have more stories. That's fantastic. Is that exciting? Sorry, Kirsten, for ambushing you. Not really. Um, So we're going to continue our our series on vineyard values. We've been exploring uh, the values of the vineyard. We're just trying to journey and see where the synergy is between us uh, and this movement. I I chatted to someone this morning who was like, ooh, what the vineyard? Ooh, I've heard some bad things about the vineyard. I would encourage you to do your own research, okay, I can stand up here and I can, I can wax lyrical about the vineyards and I can talk about them, but um, go online, uh, visit the vineyard website, um, listen to some vineyard talks, do your own research uh, and see what you come across, what you find, what, what your discovery is, because um, I can only take you so far. And I'd encourage you, as we go on this journey, to do your own research, to chat to people, maybe chat to some of the leaders or the trustees, what's their experience been, what's their understanding of what's happening, what God's saying to us. But... Uh, but today we're going to talk about uh, worship, because worship is one of the key core values that were right there at the inception of the vineyard. Um, when the vineyard started, it really was just a bunch of worn-out, broken leaders getting together before God in worship, just looking to reconnect, to be uh, recharged, to repent of their divided lives, to just basically come before God and say, God, we're broken, we need you. And... Uh, in those early days, with the very simplest of songs, God's presence began to come. Because it says in Scripture, doesn't it, a broken and contrite heart the Lord will not deny. So, so brokenness to God is like catnip to cats. <laughs> you know, when we come before God and we're, we're broken and we're humble and we accept our state of, of need, that, that just attracts the presence of God in such a powerful way. And out of those times they wrote some very, very simple songs. And those songs, rather than singing about God, were singing songs to God. They began to sing songs of intimacy to God rather than just songs that describe God. They began to pour out their hearts in song. Um, and, that, and that birthed an intimacy and a connection that really was the very kernel uh, of, of, of the worship value that's still very present uh, in the Vineyard Church. Now, John Wimber, was a, remember, was a professional musician. You remember him talked about on the video that he was managing a band called the Righteous Brothers. You've lost that loving feeling? I told the young, some of the young people that were like, what? What? I was, like, I was like, Top Gun? Like, what? What? You know, anyway. So he was a musician. He knew, he knew what well-produced music was, but 
he knew also that it wasn't the music itself that was attracting God's presence. And so the songs were very simple songs. They, weren't, they were just songs that poured out their heart to God. And uh, I want to just play you a clip from a guy called Steve Nicholson. He's a pastor of a, a vineyard in Evanston in Chicago. And he describes someone who came to try and take away um, uh, what, what was vineyard worship. So one time this other church, I think I forget who they were. They were a conservative evangelical church in our area. They came to us and they said, we want your worship. So my worship leader, my worship pastor said, okay, here you go. Here's all the songs. Here's the sheets. Here's the leads. Here's the, here's the notes. You know, here's, here, here's the words. Take it. So I took it all. And they came back a couple months later and said, why doesn't it work for us the same way as you? And he says, oh, because it's not the music. It's not the music. And they said, what is it? And he says, oh, well, we expect the Holy Spirit to be at work when we worship and expect to experience him while we're worshiping. And it's that openness and that expectation to the Holy Spirit that makes it work. You see? So, you know, for us, those go together. So that's, a, just a, that's a, a very small slice of a very big vid- video about um, just the history of the vineyard. And for the vineyard, uh, worship, that authentic expectation that God will come, is at the core of a vineyard church. When you go to a vineyard, small, big, whatever style, size, they're meeting in a school or a building or a factory or a purpose-built place, there's an expectancy when they come that as they sing the songs that God's going to come and meet them with his presence. It's the expectation it's not the music that makes it work, to use Steve's word. It's the expectation of Holy Spirit encounter. And so, I want to just talk about worship this morning. Worship, in essence, can be described as that. It's a voluntary discipline done in obedience. Okay, so that doesn't sound very exciting, does it? You know, I thought worship was all about emotion and, and, uh, you know, and feeling and, and subjectivity. But actually, worship at its heart is a choice. We choose to give our worship. We choose to bring our offering to God. It's a choice. It's a choice of voluntary discipline. Because you can choose to withhold your worship, can't you? You can come into a place like this and you can sit down, you can just sit on your hands and say, I'm not going to worship. I don't care how good the songs are, how inviting the atmosphere is, how many people are going for it around me. I can choose to withhold my worship. Because God doesn't make you worship. He doesn't stand over you and say, you will worship. He doesn't enforce worship upon you like a headmaster does he doing lines. He doesn't make you worship. Your worship is an offering to God. It's a voluntary discipline. And because our worship is an offering, we can choose to give it, or we can choose to withhold it. Has anyone ever withheld their worship? Yes, you have. Oh, you know you have. You've come into church and you've felt out of sorts or you've had a disagreement with somebody or you've felt grumpy towards God or you've been tired or bored and you've withheld your worship. (coughs) So who's withheld their worship? Much better. Okay. Because often we reduce worship down to a subjective choice. It's how we're feeling. Do we feel conducive uh, to worship? Um, Are they singing the songs that we like? Um, You know, do I feel good towards God? Has God been good towards me this week? More to the point. And so I'm coming in and I'm feeling good about God, feeling good about myself. I'm choosing to subjectively worship. But that's not how it should be, should it? Because worship shouldn't be based upon our mood. 
Worship shouldn't really be based upon our mood. It shouldn't be a subjective choice that we make. Because if we're in a good mood, we say, here you go, God, here's my offering. And if we're in a bad mood, we say, sorry, God, not today. I'm not going to bring my offering to you today because I don't, feel, I don't feel like I should. I don't feel like I want to. Jesus described our fickle nature in Matthew 11 when he said, we played the pipe for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. And he was addressing the crowd. He was addressing the, the fickleness of humanity. And basically, he's, what he's saying is, we can't please you. You know, we do it this way, and you don't want to do it that way. We do it this way, you don't want to do it that way. What, what do we need to do to please you? And he was underlying the fickleness of the human condition, that we, are, we can be these people that, if it, if it isn't in our sweet spot, then we don't feel like doing it. But in contrast, the psalmist in Psalm 95, he said this. He said, come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. So the invitation from the Psalms is come together. Let us go and make this voluntary choice to kneel before our God. Let's bring our offering of worship. Let's kneel before the Lord, our maker. Because worship is a response to revelation. We worship because we kind of get a sudden glimpse of who God is, don't we? And sometimes when we sing our songs or we're in the quietness of our own homes or we're out on a hillside and we see the sky or the stars, somehow we get a little glimpse of who we are and who God is and worship is our response. Has anyone experienced that? Suddenly you kind of get a sense, I kind of see what I fit now, I kind of get a revelation of who God is and, and his love for me and who I am and and, and worship is a thing that bubbles up from inside us. It's a response to revelation. We sang the song this morning, Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Where's that come from? Revelation. revelation. And what's happening there? Yeah, there's these heavenly creatures, and they're seeing God, and they go, Wow! Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Wow! Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Wow! Holy, holy, holy. And it's like Groundhog Day. Because every time they see God, they go, wow, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Because they're responding to the revelation of who God is. And one day, guys, that's going to be us. You know, this thin veil that separates heaven and earth is going to be gone. And you're going to be going, wow, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And so it always starts as a response to revelation. So the psalmist says, come, let us bow down, let us kneel before the Lord our maker, because we worship this incredible God who's made us, who's created us. And when we remember that, and when we get a revelation of that, our response, (laughs) our choice, is worship. Throughout scripture you see this revelation happening over and over again. When the wise men came to the baby Jesus, what did they do? They bowed down and they worshipped. When Jesus walked out on the water on the lake, and then basically Peter went out, and you know the whole story, and they got back in the boat, what did the people in the boat do? The disciples. They worshipped because they, wow, Jesus, you really are this God-man who can walk on water and calm the storm. And the revelation suddenly came upon them and they fell down the boat and they worshipped. And then when the resurrected Jesus met the two Marys coming from the tomb, they fell at his feet and they worshipped because, again, they had a revelation of who God was. Revelation and response go together in worship. The word most often used in your New Testament for worship is proskununio, 
And it means to turn towards in reverence, to turn towards, to kiss intimately. Not to kiss on the lips or to kiss on the cheek, but to kiss on the hand like you would reverently come before someone who was, you, know, you wanted to revere and honour. And so worship always has this, this intimate coming close to, to adore and to revere and to connect. And all these people in scripture who got a revelation of who Jesus was, they fell at his feet. They kissed him, they drew near, they adored him. This proscenunio verse, word that means to draw close, intimate worship. So we choose to worship God because of who he is. We also choose to worship God because we're the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. We're the loved ones of God. It says in 1 John 14, we love him because he first loved us. And so when we bring our worship offering to God, we are responding to the love that he's poured out into our lives. We're bringing a small offering of love back to him because we love him, because he loves us. You know, God pursues us, doesn't he, in love? He pursues you, he pursues me. He sent his son, he pursues us all the time. He's, he, he just loves that connection that comes when we return and respond to him. And we are the object of his affection. We're the apple of his eye, scripture says. You know, he loves us, he sets his heart upon us, his gaze upon us. He loves us. And when we worship, we turn and we respond to that love. And we reciprocate that love. And so worship at its heart is just a simple response to God's unconditional love. It's you saying, God, wow, you love me. I'm going to bring some of my love back to you. And when we understand this, guys, it changes the way we come to worship. It changes our relationship with God in worship. Because no longer are we trying to get God's approval. No longer are we trying to make God like us. We're coming out of a place of security. Because God's love for you and God's love for me is unconditional. He loves us unconditionally. He knows all your faults. He knows all your failings. He knows your divided lives, your divided hearts. He knows one minute you're you're blessing him and one minute you're cursing him. He knows everything about you, but he loves you unconditionally. And when we know that and we can be secure in that, it changes our relationship with God in worship. And as I was preparing this talk, the word that God gave me over and over again was surrender. Because worship at its heart is surrender, isn't it? It's saying, God, you love me. You accept me. I want to just fall into your arms. I want to trust you fully with my life. I want to surrender completely to you. And I thought God say to me and to us, will you surrender to me? Will you surrender to me in worship? Will you give yourself over to me? Surrendering to God is not like being captured or subdued. It's not that sort of surrender. Surrender to God is effectively just letting yourself fall back into the arms of God, trusting that he's enough, trusting that he can support you, he can care for you, he can love you. And surrender is really that act of letting go. Letting go. I might have told a few of you, a few years ago, I abseiled down a, um, a church spire in Birmingham, Aston Church Spire. And uh, climbing over that parapet was terrifying. <coughs> and then having to lean back into the harness was even more terrifying. But at one point, I had to let go of the stonework. Otherwise, I couldn't abseil. <laughs> you can't abseil clutching onto the stonework. <laughs> so the guy was going, OK, you can let go now. 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 <laughs> and at some point, there's a letting go, and you, you fall back, and the, and the harness takes the weight, and the rope takes the weight. You think, ah, oh, actually, this does work. I can now abseil. 
But if I hadn't let go, let, you know, I'd never had the experience. And it's the same for us in worship. Unless we let go fully, unless we let ourselves fall into God, you know, trust him fully with everything in our lives, experience that surrender, then we never experience the joy of to know we serve a God and love a God who can hold us up, can sustain us. And so sometimes as we're hanging on to stuff in our lives, it prevents us fully surrendering. You might be hanging on to all sorts of stuff this morning. You might be hanging on to pride. You might be hanging on to your, your appearance, the way people perceive you. You might be hanging on to sin. You might be hanging on to old ideas. All sorts of things. All these things can prevent us from fully surrendering into God's presence. Even your pain can prevent you from entering into God's presence if you hold on to it. But surrender involves letting go of these things so we can move into all that God has for us. You've seen, um, have you all gone and seen um, The Great Showman? Have you enjoyed that? Anybody? At three? Wow, I thought the whole world had gone to see The Great Showman. But there's a trapeze act, isn't there, in The, in the Great Showman? You know, Barnum, the sort of inspiring the whole circus thing. And if, if you jump from one trapeze to another, you have to at one point let go of one trapeze to reach the other trapeze, don't you? You can't kind of do that. You jump from one to the other. And that's what it's like to surrender to God. When you let go of stuff, there's this moment where it feels like you're in midair, you're transitioning, but you then land into God, all that God has for you. And for many of us, it's that, it's that choice to let go that freezes us in our stuff or our pain or our past or our sin. And we can't make the jump. Because like, well, God, what if you're not there to catch me when I let go of this stuff? But God is there. God is there. And he says, will you surrender to me? Will you surrender to me? Will you let go of stuff? Hebrews describes it like this. It's impossible to please God apart from faith. And why? Because anyone who wants to approach God must believe two things, both that he exists and that he cares enough to respond to those who seek him. So as we make that jump, we're saying, God, I trust that you're there, but I also trust that you love me and care for me to catch me that God responds to those who seek him. And so we bring our worship offering in faith and surrender as a new dynamic. God meets us in the abandonment. God meets us in our brokenness. God meets us in our true state. When Jesus met the woman at the well, she said, where are we going to worship? Some say we're going to worship here, some say we're going to worship there. Jesus said, it's not about geography, it's about heart. God's pursuing a people who are worshiping spirit and truth. And spirit and truth is about the integrity of our worship. So we come to God and say, God, this is us. In all our frailty, all our brokenness. But we love you and we know that you love us and we bring our offering to you. And we surrender to you. And any vibrant, expectant worship culture can only be created inside a church if you and I surrender to God. We could have Matt Redman, Tim Hughes, a load of other people... We can, have, we can assemble the most extraordinary worship band here. We could have the best kit. We could have a special comfy chair for you with arms and drinks on the side and all sorts. We could... But if we don't surrender, then it won't make any difference whatsoever. Because the music only takes us so far. It's the surrendered hearts of God's people that bring that dynamic of God's presence and expectation into worship. And it's not just about singing songs on a Sunday. This surrender affects every part of our lives. 
God is saying, will you surrender your life to me? In Romans 12, 1, this is one of the most preached on verses about worship. It says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, it's the Apostle Paul speaking, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. You know, Paul knew that a sacrifice had one job. It was dead and it went on an altar. But he said, you're going to be living sacrifices. You're not going to be dead things. You're going to be live things. But you are going to have one purpose primarily, and that is to offer yourself as a living sacrifice to God in worship. Because this is the proper response. He's written 11 chapters describing the mercy of God. He says, now in view of all this, in view of this revelation, the only proper thing to do is to offer yourself to God your whole life in surrender, in worship. Single-minded. Just like that sacrifice, I had one job to do, you've got one job to do. But because we're alive, we keep getting off the altar, don't we? Oh, bit hot, get off the altar. That's the problem with living sacrifices, they move. We need continually reminding that basically our life is an offering. Our life is an offering. And it involves every part of our life. You know, the way you treat your friends, the way you speak to your spouse, the way you parent your children, the way you talk about your work colleagues, the way you steward your money, the way you use your time. All these are worship. All this is an offering that you bring to God, a living sacrifice. There's a Latin phrase, coram Deo, and it means to live before the face of God. And that's what worship is. It means to live your whole life as if God was right there with you, living before the face of God. So choosing to pay for groceries at the Sainsbury's, an act of worship. The kids clearing the litter off the car park, an act of worship. This is all choosing to live before the face of God. Sunday worship should really be the tip of the iceberg. You know, when we come together and gather together here as church, what we should really be experiencing is just a very small part of what's a very big worship life in the life of the church. They reckon around 70% of an iceberg is below the waterline. So what we should be experiencing on a Sunday is just the fullness and the culmination of all our little worship lives that we're doing during the week, coming together and gathering and joyfully expressing what God's been doing in the week. All that richness of those little daily acts, those secret choices that you're making during the week, coming together to culminate in a church that's gathered to worship and bring our offerings to God. Wouldn't that be something? Wow. Wouldn't that be something? (laughs) You see, if you've been surrendering your life to God day by day, week by week, when you come on a Sunday to worship, it is going to be so much easier for you. Because you're already in the flow, you're already in the stream, you're already basically connecting, you're already there with God. Yeah? This communion relationship is happening day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute with God. You're joining in with this continuum of worship that's already happening in the heavenlies. So when you come in on a Sunday, you're already there. You already just want to just connect in again right where you left off. But the truth is, Church, if you don't have any expression of worship in your week, if you don't, aren't making these small choices day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, when you come on a Sunday, you will struggle. Because it's like trying to connect with a stranger. 
And you're much more likely to sit there with a convince me attitude than you are with somebody who wants to engage with worship straight away. Anyone felt like that? I've been to places and thought, oh, I don't really feel like it. It's just convince me. Go on, convince me. Give me your best track. Give me your most moody chord sequence. Come on, convince me to worship. <laughs> We've all been there. When we're at the flow, you know, our hearts harden and we retreat from God and we have this sort of, come on, convince me. I've sat in the biggest worship gatherings I could ever go to and sat behind people and just seen them completely switched off to God. I thought, what's it going to take to move you from there? And, they, and there's just, they're in the most incredibly powerful worship environment, but because they're not connected to God personally, they haven't got this going on in their life, then it doesn't matter what goes on around them. It's not going to convince them. But the bad news is, or the good news is, worship's going to happen with or without you. <laughs> so you withholding your offering is not going to stop God. He's not going to wait for you to catch up. Because <coughs> sometimes you think, God, I'm a bit angry with you today. I'm a bit, I'm a bit petulant. I'm going to withhold my offering. You know, I'm going to punish God by withholding my worship offering. God says, fine, crack on. The stones will worship if you don't. That's what Jesus said. Because all of creation is already worshipping. There's a worship experience already happening all around us. If we could peel the veil back today and look into heaven, where would our minds be blown? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We'd have a revelation of the continuum of worship that's already happening right now. So when we withhold our offering, you know, it's just really us. We're the only people that we're hurting because the worship will happen with us or without us because all of creation is worshipping God right now. The stars, the rocks, everything is worshipping God. And one day in the future, the Bible tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. A number of years ago, I was praying in my office. I wanted to experience the fear of the Lord. I've been doing some study about it. And I wanted to know what it meant. Because <coughs> it says, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord in Scripture. So I thought, Lord, I don't know what that means. So I set aside a time to pray. And after about four or five days, I was sitting at my desk in my office. This was back in the late 90s. And uh, suddenly God turned up in my room. And he turned up in my room like he really turned up in my room. Not like, oh, I think God's here. It feels really nice and warm. No, suddenly God was in my office and I was terrified. And I threw myself to the floor and started trying to dig through the carpet because I was terrified in the presence of God. I don't think God turned up to scare me. I think God just turned up manifestly in my room. And the verse that came to mind, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because when everyone gets a revelation of the creator, then creation does respond in worship whether we've made that choice here or we haven't made that choice. It says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And we get the chance to beat the queue, guys. You get the chance to beat the queue. So if you've never knelt in worship, guess what? One day you're going to. So it's a great idea to get some practice in, isn't it? (laughs) Now, I'm not suggesting you make an extravagant show of it and come down the front and kneel. I'm kneeling in worship here today. And some of you might not physically be able to kneel anymore because of your age or your condition. But you can kneel on the inside. You can kneel on the inside. You can <laughs> surrender to God. Because one day, all of creation will be surrendered to God. And so if you've never knelt before God, if you've never felt like you've surrendered before to God in worship, I suggest you begin. Or at least 
begin and practice and try because we know where the story's going. We know where the story's going. And so we have the opportunity, by choice, as an offering in worship, to begin this process of deepening our surrender to God. You know, James, James, who was Jesus' brother, he was called Camel Knees. And the reason he was called Camel Knees was because he had these huge calluses on his knees from a life of worship and prayer. Wouldn't that be incredible? To be known as somebody who spent so much time on their knees in worship and prayer that you had Camel Knees. We're more worried about keeping the wrinkles off our knees now, aren't we? <laughs> that's, that's more important now because it's all about what we look like. But James's reputation was a man who spent so much time in devotion before God in surrender that his knees were like a camel. And he took that into heaven. He was no stranger to God when he arrived. And so practice surrender. Practice spiritually humbling yourself before God in worship. We worship from the spirit of adoption. It says in Romans 8.14. Those are led by the Spirit of God. They're children of God. That's you and I. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, that you live in fear. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship or daughtership. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. So we come to God in worship as God's children, as dearly loved. Daddy, we love you. We want to spend time with you. We want to get up on your lap. We want to cuddle. We want to be in your presence. You know, it's like when a little child runs up to their parents and just scoops, and the parent scoops them up. That's the image of worship that God gives us. We're adopted children. So our worship flows from this place of knowing that we're fully accepted, fully loved, fully secure in the Father's presence. He lavishes his love upon us. He loves us, and we bring our offering back to him. In Luke 15, Jesus tells the story of two brothers, his famous story. The younger brother says, give me my inheritance. Dad, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance now. Give it me. I'm going to go off and have some good fun. And off he goes. And he lives the life. And then runs out of money. And has to go and live with the pigs. And eat what the pigs eat. And then he decides, I'm going to go home. And even though my father won't want me home because I've just so... Well, I've just blown it. In every way. And so he says, my dad won't want me home, but perhaps he'll let me just live with the hired hands. Perhaps he'll kind of show me some mercy. And on the way back home, his father, who's been looking out for him day after day, week after week, sees him at a distance, and he runs to meet him. Now, culturally, men didn't run. It was the worst thing to do to run because you lost your dignity if you ran. But he ran to meet him, and he scooped him and said, son, you're home. And the son says, you know, father, I've sinned against you. He says, forget that. You're back. Let's have a party. And they, they celebrate, and they, he puts the ring on him and the cloak on him, and they kill the fatted calf, and they throw a huge party. But brother number two is the older brother. He's outside, and he's ticked off. I've been here, slaving away, working for you. All the time this younger brother's been away, he comes back, and what do you do? You throw a party for him. Well, I'm not coming in. And so the father goes, and please, come, in, come to the party. He's, he was lost. And he's found, you've always been with me. You've always, I've always loved you, but he was gone and he's back. We've got a party, we've got to celebrate. I'm not coming in. Why did Jesus tell us this story? Well, you see in this story the, the lavish love of the Father, the unconditional love of the Father, but you also see the danger of religion. Because the older brother, yes, he ticked all his boxes, 
but you saw his heart. I've slaved for you all these years while he's been off living it up. I've slaved for you. I've kept all my conditions. But now, this? No way, I'm not coming in. So the older son didn't enter in to the celebration, didn't enter in to the father's love. And we've always got a choice, guys. When God's doing stuff, do we stand outside and judge or do we enter in? Do we choose, choose to enter into the Father's love, the Father's grace, the Father's unconditional lavishness? What does the word prodigal mean? It means lavish. It's nothing to do with people being away or people being naughty and coming back. Prodigal means lavishness, uncontrolled lavishness. And so the son was wasteful, but who was more wasteful? The father. Because the father threw the party of all parties when the son came back. So the story would be better entitled The Prodigal Father than The Prodigal Son. Because it was the father's lavish love, the watching father, waiting father, waiting for the return of the son. And so the father throws the party and he says, do you want to come in? Do you want to come into the party? Do you want to be part of what I'm doing? And sometimes we think, mm, I don't agree with that. I don't want to do that. I'm going to stand outside instead. I'm not going to enter in. There's always <coughs> an invitation. Riverside's on a journey, isn't it? As a worshipping community, we're trying to journey deeper into God's presence. We shared with our, our Vision Sunday about trying to connect deeper into God's presence. We're trying to deepen our worship experience. We're trying to broaden our song range. We're trying to do different things. But I guarantee, I guarantee, we will never always hit your sweet spot. Sorry. Because you will come with your personal preferences, your personal choices, the songs you like, the songs you don't like, the music you like loud, the music you like quiet. You will like some things longer, some things shorter, some things faster, some things slower. You will come with your personal preference about how worship should be. And that's fine. I came to the silent disco on Wednesday... Not much of a disco dancer personally, so I sat and watched, and it was great fun seeing all these guys. You got these headphones when you arrived, and you had three channels. You had a red channel, a blue channel, and a green channel. And whatever channel you picked, your headphones lit up green, red, or blue. It's great. Now, I guarantee, during that period of that evening, not once, not once, were all the headphones on the same colour. Why? Why? Because we've all got personal choice, haven't they? It was hilarious when I watched people convert people. Red, 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 red. Blue, 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 blue. And everyone was trying to convert people to their channel. Green, 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 green. You know. And everyone was flicking between them. But not once, not once, did all the headphones change to green or all the headphones change to red or all the headphones change to... Because everyone came with their personal preference. Three fantastic tracks going on across three different headphones. But everyone was switching between the one they felt was right for them. So we could do worship that way. We could hand out the headphones on a Sunday. Yes. Graham Kendrick on green. Hymns on blue. And Hillsong on red. And you could, just, you could just flick and have your own private worship experience. And that would be the ultimate, ultimate expression of personal choice, wouldn't it? But God doesn't call us to that. What he calls us to do is to bring our offering of worship to him. And when we do that, 
What we're doing, in a sense, is we're laying down our personal preference. Because it's a bit like, I don't know, if you ever looked at a, suddenly looked at a lighthouse, you know, you can see the light, and periodically the light will come around and you'll get it full board, boom, and it'll pass on. Boom, full, and that's how lighthouses work. There's a reflector inside, and it basically the light goes round. And so sometimes you'll come to church and worship will like, wow, I'm in, the, I'm in the glory zone. I just feel it today. And you'll go out and say, worship was fantastic today. And somebody else is like, well, I didn't think so. I didn't like that song. It was too slow. It was too fast. I didn't like that hymn. I didn't sing Shine, Jesus, Shine. I didn't do that. So <laughs> can't be worship as far as I'm concerned. But you're like, well, I, was in the, I was in the zone. And that's... Going back to what Jesus said, you know, humanity is fickle. And so worship is this subjective thing that we do, but actually it shouldn't be. It's this voluntary discipline of obedience. So the choice is, am I going to enter in when I don't want to? Am I going to enter in when I don't like that song? Or am I going to choose to enter in when they're not playing it the way I like it? Or they haven't done this, they haven't done that. Am I going to enter in? Because that's always the invitation from the Father. Are you going to come in and join the party? That's always the invitation. So can I encourage you, as we journey in worship, you've got a choice to bring your offering. And I'd encourage you to bring your offering to God in worship, to enter in, to foster that weekly pattern of devotion so that when you come on a Sunday, you're predisposed to want to worship because you've been worshipping during the week. You don't have to be convinced by the song or the melody or the atmosphere. You're making a choice to bring your offering the Father will always be there at the door saying, come in, come in, please come in. You know, come and experience the joy of what it is to worship with me. But he won't make you go in. The story of the prodigal son ends with the, the elder boy still outside and the younger son inside enjoying the party and the love and grace of the Father. He d- Jesus didn't resolve the story because he leaves with that tension. You know, where are we going to be? Where are we going to find ourselves in that story? William Temple, who was the former Archbishop of Canterbury, he described worship as this. To worship is to quicken the consciousness by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God, and to devote the will to the purpose of God. So worship is this all-encompassing thing that we do that affects and touches every part of our lives. And we offer ourselves to this incredible God, this Saviour, this loving Father, and we choose to bring him our offering of worship. Let's stand together. Thanks for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.